morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 42. And I did promise to keep it short, but we're actually going to include Psalms 43. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Psalms 42, um, this particular psalm was written, and if there's a subscription at the top or superscription, it says, to the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. Um, if you look in the uh, commentaries and such, the sons of Korah were men that were appointed by David to lead worship in music in the temple. And this morning's verse, was, or this morning's chapters, were written by one of those sons of Korah. We're going to see that uh, he was actually not uh, in Jerusalem. He was, he was feeling that. Um, if you look over to chapter 43, and the reason I'm including 43 this morning, um, there are the first nine psalms in the 40s are actually written by this, or dedicated to the sons of Korah. But Psalms 43 in that group is the only one that doesn't have a superscription at the top. There's no starting there. And also in our text, you're going to see that the refrain that they have, the chorus in there, is exactly the same. And a lot of your uh, uh, commentaries, a lot of your, your people, what I've been studying, say these two psalms go sort of, yeah. Let me start that again. These two psalms go together. I, uh, I will admit when pastor asked me to do psalms, I was thinking, okay, the psalms, I, I was kind of like Mike. The only, the only poetry I knew was Dr. Seuss. I've actually had green eggs and ham. It was at camp. It was okay. But it's one of those things where I didn't understand the psalms until a few years ago. You know, life was one of those things where, you know, I went along, did my thing. But one of the things that I've come to appreciate about the Psalms is, is they actually touch our lives in ways that just the rest of the Bible may not. Um, the Psalms were the uh, hymnal for the Hebrew people. And many years ago, I uh, had the opportunity to speak where I worked. I worked in a large nursing home, and there were several times when the uh, church was supposed to come on a Wednesday afternoon and do a church service, and they didn't show up or weren't able to. And one of the administrators knew that I had done some preaching, had done some teaching, and asked me if I would pinch hit. And it was great. I loved that. And, and part of the service we do, we had one of the ladies there that would play the piano for me. And I noticed that when I would do this, we would sing the same songs over and over and over. And at first I was thinking, is this the only songs that they really liked? You know, these are the popular ones. And I very quickly realized that the psalms, the songs that they were singing, touched their heart in a way and expressed their appreciation for God, their worship for God, in a way that meant something to them. You know, and sometimes the, these older folks that were sitting there, they could hardly sing, but when you would sing these songs, you could see it in their eyes. You could see it in their face. That meant something to them. And so I, I think that when we come to the Psalms today, you're going to see that the, the psalmist today really understood part of life in a way we did not. Um, there are, the, the Psalms are actually broken up into five books. I'll be honest, I didn't know that until we started studying this this summer. And 42nd Psalm is the first psalm 
in the second book of the Psalms. So it, it starts the, the second book, and uh, kind of like with, uh, when Dennis did Psalms 1 and 2, they go together. Psalms 42 and 43 go together. Just a quick overview, we're going to find that the psalmist himself was away from home. He was away from Jerusalem. He finds himself oppressed by his enemies, you know, frequently asked, where is your God? We find he is probably depressed, discouraged, feeling very alone. And that leaves him craving the presence of God. How many times, as I was reading through this, and, and I kept thinking that, and I even accused Pastor Adam of specifically assigning me this one, because it is, oftentimes I feel myself sometimes feeling that way. You know, feeling alone, feeling discouraged, feeling attacked, and wanting to have God's presence there to do that, to, to heal that. And we're going to look today at uh, the, the two psalms, and I've, labeled, or I've titled this one, The Three R's of Finding God, or Finding God's Hope in Difficult Times. And for those of you that are taking notes, the first R... 42, 1 through 5, is recognize uh, his need for God. Psalms 42, verses 6 through 11, is recognizing what God has done. And then Psalms 43, only 1 through 5, because that's all there is, is refocusing uh, his thoughts on God's hope. And this morning, as we come there, we open up the Psalms, I, I want you to kind of put yourself in the place of the psalmist. I want you to put yourself and say, okay, as he uses some of these descriptions, do they actually apply to me? Now, I don't know if you'll find this the same, but I found that to be very much the same. So the first part, um, Psalms 42, 1 through 5, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, God, for the living God, for sh when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? Then I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with a multitude, I went with them to the house of God, with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast." The first thing we see this, this morning is the psalmist recognizes his need for God. Verses 1 and 2, and, and one thing I, I've come to appreciate about the psalms is they use metaphors, they use pictures of things that I can identify with. Now, if you talk to some of the teenagers, I, my brand of humor is very punny. Um, I, I tend to use a lot of representatives, and, and most of them don't quite appreciate it as much as I would hope, but... It's, that's kind of the way my mind works. When the psalmist paints the pictures here, it gives us a picture of what he's thinking, what he's feeling, and I'm thinking we're going to see that. But he starts out as the deer pants for the water brooks. Soul pants my soul, soul pants my soul for you, O oh God. You know, and, and you can picture that. I mean, it's been a hot summer. How many of you like the heat of the summer? We disagree. <laughs> I would rather have it 40 than 75 or above. You know, I can always put more of a coat on. You know, there's only so much you can do with the heat. But I, I don't like the heat. 
But I know what it's like to be outside working in the heat, outside slaving away, digging in, and it's just hot, and you crave that cold drink of water. And I've actually found myself, and maybe you have too, that in the society we live in today, just as that deer or that person craves that drink of water, we crave our God. We crave that relationship with him. We crave his presence. Because you just have to look at one, you know, one headline and you're, you're, you're faced with a difficult time. You look at the world we live in today. It is a difficult time. And the psalmist here um, identifies with that. In verses 3, it says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? And as I was studying through this, this one kind of gave me a little bit of a pause because I'm thinking, okay, you know, he, he, he's crying out to God, but, you know, it's one of those things where it doesn't seem like God's there. And the reality is he is. But if you look at that last phrase in verse 3, it says, where is your God? One of the things that putting this together is, how many times have you proclaimed to those around you that God's going to work in your life, or God's going to do this, God's got this? How many times do you hear, God's got this? And when it doesn't appear to them that God's got anything, the next shooting comes across, where is God? How many times have we heard that? Where is God in the midst of all this trouble? And yet, the psalmist has found himself proclaiming God, proclaiming the truth of God, proclaiming that, and these people around him are going, okay, where's God? You know, he finds himself feeling alone. He finds himself feeling persecuted. And as the result, my tears have been my food day and night. And it was interesting as I was putting this together because one of the things that, you know, we're often told is, you know, how many of you, okay, I asked the teenagers this one time, I commented that, you know, I'm not John Wayne, I am in touch with my feelings. And, and someone looked at me and goes, who's John Wayne? That, it was just wrong, I'm telling you, it's wrong because, you know, when I was a kid, John Wayne, Arnold Schwarzenegger, these guys got it done. They, I mean, they were tough. The bullets hit them, and they seemed to bounce right off them. You know, they, they were the tough. They were the ones. And, you know, as a kid, I, I thought that was cool. The older I get, I realize that that is just a fictional story. You know, in the midst of all of this, we want to cry out to God. Our hearts are broken. Our, we're discouraged. We're like, what is going on? And yet we cry out to God, and... Interestingly enough, he cries out, you know, day and night with his tears. And the one thing we don't see here is that he turned to other things to replace that. He had his mind focused on God. How many times does, when things don't go our way, we're going to go, okay, this didn't work, I'm going to try something else. We're actually going to see in the next section that God doesn't always intervene immediately. God doesn't always fix the problems. And yet our focus is, is, okay, if that isn't going to work, I'm going to find something it is. I'm a stress eater. All my life, you know, when life gets difficult, I enjoy eating. You know, I enjoy just packing it in there and going, okay, because then I can feel better. I don't. Indigestion sucks. 
but it's one of those things where we oftentimes turn to other things to replace our God. Whether it be things on the internet, whether it be other relationships, maybe it's a uh, focus on work or whatever. We don't actually stop and go, okay, God, you were what I want. And the psalmist here is, is actually giving us the example that, you know, his focus of his frustrations and his discouragements is towards God, not to solving the problem himself. We are not to do that ourselves. We're allowed to trust God to do that. <clears throat> and the psalmist here has, you know, by saying that he's crying out to God, is his focus is on God. His desire is to be with God. You know, and, and one of the things that we find in verse 4, it says, When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with a multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. One of the things here that, you know, he is feeling discouraged. He is crying out to God day and night with his tears. The people around him are saying, oh yeah, God's really real, huh? Where is he? Show me what he's doing. And the one thing that his desire is, is not just to feel the presence of God, but to feel fellow believers. And oftentimes I think that uh, we take for granted the privilege we have to gather together. I think we, we underuse the relationships we have with those that we go to church with. We really don't uh, embrace that gift that God has given us of worshiping with others. And as I was putting this together, it, it actually, the, the psalmist here, and we're not going to get into the history too much, but the psalmist here may have been in the procession that brought the ark back from the Philistines and into Jerusalem. He may have been worshiping with them. He may have been just going to the festivals and, and, and remembering the joy of worshiping together. And I was thinking of this, there were a couple of things that came to mind. About six and a half years ago, my father died. He had struggled ten years with three different kinds of cancers, and uh, God took him home. And there was a lot of mixed feelings, there was a lot of stuff going on, there was a lot of just plain grief. And I remember the following Sunday coming to church. And when I came here in, in fellowship with believers, I was reminded of an old commercial when I was a kid. Now, some of you that are teenagers are not going to understand what the Nestle Plunge is. Does any of the adults remember the Nestle Plunge? You know, they're, they're doing whatever in the middle of it, and all of a sudden they just go like this, and they fall back into this giant pool or vat of Nestle and feel refreshed. And I remember coming that Sunday morning and just being with like believers, just feeling the encouragement of those that were with me. And it was like the nest tea plunge when I fell back into it. And that feeling is probably what our psalmist was feeling as well. He wanted to have the presence of God. He wanted to feel that presence. But he also missed the encouragement he finds in fellow believers. The other illustration that came to mind and was really more of the, the feeling alone is I remember when COVID hit, we, uh, I think there was 10 weeks where we did not have actual church services. 
we were online, and then somebody decided to have a birthday. And I remember that we decided to get together, Fanny's birthday was coming up, and we all wanted to celebrate her birthday. And one of the big things at the time was to gather together and do the drive-by happy birthday. And I remember we met at the parking alley, parking alley, parking lot of the bowling alley. And I remember just that feeling of finally being together again after two and a half months. It was almost a current in the air. You could feel that, that joy of actually being together again. And that idea that the psalmist is going, I want that again. I want to feel that encouragement. I want to feel that togetherness. You know, one of the things that I think we find, is our, uh, we find ourselves doing is we get discouraged, we get down, and when we, okay, I'm going to fix it myself, I'm going to turn to this, and that doesn't work, so I'm going to go to this, and one of the things that we forget we need to do is come before God, come before him and say, this is how I feel, be honest. We might as well be, he knows anyway. But also remember that God has placed us in a congregation. Those relationships are important to us. Um, and they actually will help us get through that. Now, verse 5 actually shows us the refrain and we're going to see this repeated two more times in our, in our verses today. And it says, Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. And as I was studying that, um, that part of the refrain, I... Uh, come to realize that the question at the beginning wasn't so much a question as a pull himself up a little bit by the bootstraps. It says, why are you downcast, O my soul, or why are you disquieted in me? And, and, and he's talking to himself. You know, if you ask my kids or my wife, I have conversations with myself all the time. I like to tell them because I want to talk to someone intelligent, but that doesn't always go over so well. Um, but, you know, you, you kind of build yourself up and, and shake your boots out a little bit and go, okay, what's going on here? We can do this. And that's what our psalmist is doing here. He's going, why am I disquieted within me? Why? In fact, the one commentary wrote, why do you sink down my soul and why are you in an uproar within me? You ever been there? You ever felt that way? And you go, okay. God, I, I recognize this is what I'm supposed to do, and, and okay, we need to refocus here. We need to reset. So put your hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, or as the one commentary for his presence. How many times do we reach out and in the middle of the most difficult circumstances find God is with us, that as the uh, New Testament, the, the peace that passes all understanding. I've had moments in my life where it doesn't make sense for me to have peace. It doesn't make sense for me to feel calm or to trust, and yet I do. It's that presence of God that I request, that I want, that I crave. And the psalmist here is going, okay, you know, why am I downcast? I should put my hope in God's presence 
in my God, in my Savior. And one of the things that I've heard over the years is just give it to God and it'll be okay. Um, God's got this, just don't worry about it. Well, you know what? How's it? To borrow the uh, colloquialism, how's that working for you? Because simply saying those words, simply doing those things doesn't work for me. And we're going to find that uh, in the next section here, verses 6 through 11, it doesn't necessarily work for the psalmist as well. You know, he's now focused on God. He's now saying, God, you are my hope. He's trusting in him. And yet he's going, mm, this is still not resolved. I still am not home. I'm still not free of my enemies. Starting in verse 6, it says, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from the hill miser. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of the bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? The psalmist here comes again, and he's, you know, he's just sat himself down and says, okay, let's, let's look at this. Why, why are you downcast? You, you, you've got a God that you can put your hope in. All right, let's, let's focus and do that. And yet we find as he's going through this, his circumstances haven't changed. You know, he's still overwhelmed by the discouragement. He still feels frustrated. He still feels alone. And I, and I think that feeling of alone is one of the devil's tools that we don't necessarily recognize. You know, how, and, and you look at even other examples throughout the Bible you know, I, I think of Elijah after he had the battle on Mount Carmel. And, you know, what a day that was. You know, you look through that and, and the miracles that happened, the, the sacrifice that was consumed, and, and all of a sudden he finds himself pursued by Jezebel. And he's out into the wilderness and going, God, I don't want to do this no more. I'm out. You know, I, I think of, of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, and, and one of the things that uh, we find is we have a Savior that identifies with us. You know, Jesus was in the garden. He brought some guys with him and says, okay, guys, let's, let's get this together. Help me out here. And they fall asleep. He comes back to them and says, hey, wake up. You know, I'm paraphrasing out of this. And they go back to sleep. He comes before God and says, look, God, Father, you know, if this can pass and do some other ways, let's, let's do it another way. I really don't want to do this. And yet after that, he says, but thy will be done. He, he acknowledges that this is what God wants for him. And one of the things that uh, we oftentimes think in life and in this instant society is that my problems should be quickly taken care of. I remember when I was a kid, we got our first microwave. And that thing was so cool at the time. 
and teenagers today don't understand what it's like to have to get your leftovers out or rebake them or on the stovetop and rewarm them up or you probably just couldn't do it because it was going to probably kill them if you did but you, you didn't have a microwave and when we got this microwave I remember it was my my dad got it from my mom it was a big production we had put it out there and we cooked our first thing we heated up water <laughs> you know and it used to be you'd have to boil water in the pot and the tea kettle and it would whistle and then you could do we heated up water in 30 seconds. Yeah, we're on. Now, for all of you that have microwaves at home, and I'm pretty sure everyone here probably does, how many times do you sit there and go, oh, there's 10 seconds. Oh, come on, there's 10, nine. Is this never going to get done? We want, we're an instant society. We want all of our problems done right now. Don't, don't put me through this, God. God, you know, you're, you're the... Uh, you just need to fix this. And I remember this summer as we were at uh, um, D3, one of the speakers used this illustration, and I finally remembered the name. I didn't have to look it up. I, I texted him to get uh, Dennis to figure out, because he was there this summer. But um, think about our God for a moment, how powerful he really is. You know, he controls the entire universe, not just... This building, not just this country, not just this continent, but not just this world, but every world. And chances are he can do it with a power in his pinky, as the uh, illustration was used this summer. He is in complete control. He's got power beyond anything we can imagine. And yet we treat him like a handyman. God, fix my problem. I, I don't want to deal with this anymore. God, this isn't working. Uh, will you come take care of that? And I think we have to understand that sometimes our God says, nope, there is more to this than just instant fix. You know, as life is difficult, as life is, is piling up on us, we have to understand that God is trying to teach us something. You know, in the world we live in now, we find it is, <laughs> it is a difficult place to be. And it's not just our little area. It's not just our county, our state, our country. It's the whole world is difficult. You know, we see things, and how many times have you said, I never thought I'd live the day, or live to see the day when? How many have said that in here? Yeah, if you haven't, you've thought it. Uh, <laughs> we live in a world we never thought we would see. And yet we're going, okay, God, fix this problem. You know? Make this law go through, or don't let this law go through, or, or, you know, take this leader and remove them. And God's going, nope, I got a better plan. Trust me, I've got a better plan. And sometimes it's the long term. I remember hearing uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. And for those of you who don't know, she was 18 years old. She dove into the pool, broke her neck, found herself in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. And I remember listening to her speak one day, and she had prayed two weeks before that event happened that, God, I'm willing to be used by you any way that I can for your glory. Use me any way you see fit. She's in a wheelchair, still is. She's affected more people in her life for God than I will ever begin to touch because God used her in that way. And yet, her body didn't get fixed. 
her body didn't magically reappear together. But God used that. And sometimes in our lives, God wants to do the same thing. Through the difficult times, he wants to lead us. He wants to be there with us. Verse 8, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. You know, God has not forgotten a prayer to the God of my life. In the midst of this, the psalmist is saying, look, you know, and, and if you look at the, the verses in, in 7, the, you know, it talks about the, the deep. There are several different ideas on what that might be, but one of them is the fact that, you know, my gut is still churning. <laughs> My, my life is still a mess. I am still struggling. And yet in verse 8, he cries out to God. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. The night, his song shall be with me. That's a God that wants to be with you. That wants you to come to him. That wants you to have that relationship that says, Okay, God, I really do want you to fix this. But if not, I still trust you. I still want you to work within me and to teach me something. And quite frankly, that his reaching out to him is like the only thing that sustains this guy, given his circumstances. Look in verse 9, it says, I shall say to my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemies? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me, where they say to me all day long, where is your God? You know, he, he's going through these difficulties, and, and you can imagine this guy has had a testimony for God. He's saying, you know, this is the one God that, that he will do things. And the people around him are still saying, okay, where's God? Where's God? And to him, when they keep asking that, and he doesn't see God changing their minds, it feels like his bones are being crushed. It's just like that, okay. When they keep saying that, I keep going, ugh. And the reality is, as we're going to look at in uh, 43, God doesn't necessarily take that away. Verse 11, we repeat the refrain again. It says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Look, let's get it together here. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. He takes a moment and says, okay, God, <laughs> okay, yeah, we got this. Refocus, we're going to get this. And it's the same pleas he had before. It's the same idea that, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, but my focus is going to be on God. As we're going to see in chapter 43, his requests of God are not for his problems to be solved so much, but for the strength for him. Let me read verse, uh, chapter 43 for you. It says, Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. One of the things that we see here is the psalmist 
you know, came before God and says, look, this is where I'm at. I recognize this. Part two, I remember who you are in the midst of what I'm doing. And part three, I'm going to refocus on who you are, and I'm going to put my trust in you. The psalmist actually asked two different things. Um, The first one being, vindicate me, O God. Now, for those of you that were a child of the 80s, I, I grew up in the 80s. The music was what I listened to. There's an old 80s song. You, you found it in Rocky III. And, if, and, and I forgive you because this may be the only thing that any of you remember about my entire thing, but The Eye of the Tiger. How many of you have heard that song before? Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. That's probably going to be in your head the rest of the morning, the rest of the week. But, you know, I was thinking about that, and how many times... Are we the eye of the tiger? You know, the, and, and the refrain in there is the thrill of the fight, rising up to the challenge of our rivals. How many times as Christians do we think that has got to be our fight? we got to go to our enemies and say, okay, let me, let, you know, game on, let's go. Let me tell you what the truth is and let me make you understand what God says. And then we find it doesn't work. Because that's not what God has called us to do. God has called us to let him fight that fight. He has called us to get out of the way. To sometimes take our enemies and say, I've told you the truth. God will show you. And how many times do we look around in the world and go, okay, if they would just listen to this or they would just go back to this or if I could just convince them of this, it's not my job. My job is to what? hold out the truth of God's word, to give them the gospel, to let them see the world through his eyes and to then refocus on him. Vindicate me, O God. I want the eye of the tiger. Only God's got that. He puts the tiger to shame. And plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. Again, he repays and says, look, God, I don't want to go through this. I don't like this. But, verse 2, For you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast, cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, to your tabernacle, when I go to the altar of, the God, of God, to God my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. In the midst of this, he says, okay, God, look, this is your fight. You do this. And I thought about this for a little bit because, you know, I I have been known to get on my soapbox a time or two in life. I've gotten better at that and let God handle this. You know, there are some religions around the world where if you insult their God or their leader, it literally is an act of war. You know, I remember back... In the early 90s, there was a cartoonist that made a cartoon about Muhammad. And the British government had to put him in protective custody because there was a jihad on this guy. And it's still there. I actually read about him a couple weeks ago again. And one of the things that uh, I was thinking about, and there was a quote in the one commentary that I had remembered. And I actually found this to be quite interesting. It says, if our emotions and circumstances 
do not change when we have sought the Lord through the Bible and prayer, we can be tempted to conclude that doing so doesn't work, that theology really won't fix our problems, that we need something else, perhaps something more practical. These conclusions fail to see that the quick fix of the change of circumstances or emotion may not be what God has for us. <clears throat> he may mean to bless us through the long night of yearning, even if that long night lasts years. The question confronting us is whether the one for whom we long is worth the wait. How many times do we say in the middle of this, I want this, you know, God, take care of this problem. And sometimes we forget that our focus should be on God. And is he really worth your wait? Take a minute and think about that. How many times do we think in life, when we face these difficulties, we face our enemies, we face the discouragements, we say, okay, God, I trust you to take care of this, but do we really? Ask yourself for a moment, okay, God, I trust you to deal with this situation, but what's your next step? Do we wait for him? Do we trust that his strength will do that? Or do you go, yeah, that didn't work, so I'm going to do this. Um, God, I don't see you working, so that must mean I have to do something, right? And yet, oftentimes, as the psalmist points out, we're not trusting him for who he is. The God of this universe, the God that controls everything, has got this under control. God is not leaving us alone. He, he is right there with us. And he actually has a plan for us. And it was interesting how God works these things out because as I was studying through this, one of the commentaries referenced a verse in James chapter 5, and if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, back in May, I was actually in New York City at the Watkins Church preaching, and I preached on James chapter 5, and this illustration was there. We're going to be looking at James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. Behold, my brother, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure, who have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. And the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. You know, one of the things that uh, James uses is the illustration of the prophets of old. And, and, and I've mentioned Elijah, and you could go through several others who struggled in life, who struggled to do that. And yet they kept maintaining their focus on God. They kept taking his message to the world around him. You know, the, a prophet's job was to give the message of God. And today, we're reminded by James that we're to do the same. And that message is summed up in one word, gospel. You know, the world around us may not see things the way we do, but because they don't know the God we know. The people around us struggle on their own because they have no hope of a Savior like we do. Jesus Christ was here on earth. He went through difficult times. He identifies us with us in ways we can't even begin to. 
But James also reminds the people in uh, his day that just like in the book of Job, God wants you to persevere. And I like here it says, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. Who's in control of this world? Who's in control of you? Who's in control of how you view these things? You know, the psalmist cries out for light and truth. Do we cry out for that and then wait for the answer? You know, if you, if you turn over in Psalms 46, verse 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. In the midst of all of this, our first thing is, okay, what, what can I do to fix this? One of the things we may need to do is be still and know that I am God. You know, if I had got a grade on that one, it would probably be like a lot of my grades in school sometimes. Not really good. Because I am not good at being still and letting God be in control. I am not good at saying, okay, God, in the midst of all this, I'm going to trust you to work in my heart. In the midst of all this, we need to be still and know that I am God. You know, just as the psalmist here wanted to be back in Jerusalem, back together, we wait for our Savior. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God. He is coming back for us one day. And as such, our hope needs to be focused on him. Our desires need to be focused on him. And when we do, we will find that those trials don't go away. But they become a whole lot more easy to deal with. 